Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Well, I think as a parent, uh, you, you have to be the leader. You have to take the leadership position yourself. And that's not always easy. Um, when parents do ask me, how can I have a conversation with my son or daughter the same way that strangers are able to trust you with their stories and secrets and postcards? My answer is always the same. Um, it's, it's not easy, um, but it is simple. And that is uh, tell your son or daughter one of your true secrets first. And, and that opens up this gateway where they feel like they can share back. So I think it's more about not asking for authenticity, uh, but showing it yourself, uh, being courageous enough to take that step of vulnerability first, open up your heart, and then that allows it to come back. Uh, because ultimately, uh, intimacy, um, well, secrets are the currency of intimacy. And if you can start that relationship first, um, it's much easier for the other person to respond. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Frank, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It is great to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So unless they've been living on the moon for the last 10 years, chances are people probably already know who you are and what your main contribution to the world uh, post-secret is all about, which we will get into. But before we get into that, given the nature of your work, I want to start by asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact has that ended up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Oh, what a great place to start. Um, Well, before high school, uh, my parents were divorced. And so I think because of that, uh, the nature of the social groups I joined was affected. So, for example, instead of uh, continuing in baseball and football and basketball, kind of traditional athletic pursuits where it's very helpful to have the support of your school, your family, your father in particular, I started drifting towards things like skateboarding, where you kind of made up your own rules and your own goals and you're off with a peer group. And there is no coach with skateboarding. And I think that kind of helped me later in life. Uh, in middle school and high school, I would say my peer, my, my tribe would be, oh boy, things as varied as comic book collectors, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, continuing to hang on to skateboarding, but also being introduced to uh, punk rock, um, certain kinds of literature, I remember being really enraptured by Hunter S. Thompson and uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, George Orwell, some of these uh, worlds created with literature. 
So maybe those are are some of the starting points. But really, I think Post Secret ties into that idea too, and the internet as well. Mm-hmm. You know, in 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 old times, uh, pre digital, you kind of had to find your tribe in a rough way when you were in high school and middle school. Maybe you never did until you left to go to a big city, and then you realized you were never alone. But with the web, and I hope with websites like Post Secret. Uh, the entry to your tribe and awareness of it, it comes closer to your front door, allows you to realize that you're not alone, maybe a little bit earlier in your life. And I think that's one of the beauties of the web. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get into that because I have a lot of questions about that. But uh, I want to ask you about skateboarding specifically. I'm an avid surfer and a snowboarder. And what is it that you think draws people to board sports and the individualistic nature of them? I can tell you what drew me personally to them is the fact that much like yourself, I attempted a lot of sports and you know, usually I was the you know most improved player on the team, which just means you're the shittiest player on the team. Uh, <laughs> and when I saw board sports, I got to see that I didn't have a standard that I was being measured against by anybody else. The only person I was competing with was myself. But I've noticed that a lot of creative people, a lot of entrepreneurs gravitate towards these very individualistic sports. I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. Some have to do with uh, your home life and where you're coming from and what resources you have available to to you. Certainly, uh, the fact that it's a lot easier to get involved with skateboarding Mm -hmm. uh, than it would be, say, golf. And a a lot of that is determined by the home you come from, the socioeconomic strata you're from. Um, But another way to look at it, too, and I think something that has stayed with me, is the idea of seeing people as kind of originators or technicians, you know, artists or craftspeople. And I think with a sport like skateboarding, you're kind of making your own rules. You have internal standards you're holding yourself to. Um, It's important who you're skating with. You know, when you go to a little league game, your team is assigned to you. When you skateboard, you get to choose the destination and you get to choose who you go there with. And I think that has a lot of value. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you still skateboard now? Oh, uh, I don't skateboard. I feel as though as I've aged, I've let go of certain activities and embraced others. Uh So where I used to play a lot of basketball and skateboard and run, uh, today as a 54-year-old, I do a lot of swimming and road cycling and hiking. Hmm. What? Uh, wait a were, minute. Wait a minute. That well, hmm was kind of negative. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I, okay, I, I actually, I have, I have questions about that too. Believe me, I'm very big on physical activities and the role that they have on creativity. So I, you know, I actually want to come back to that. I totally am, and I hope we do come back to it because for me, uh, endurance sports has really been uh, helpful to me emotionally. And even, even though I don't play basketball anymore because mm-hmm. I've had a couple of back surgeries, I do. I I meditatively shoot free throws in the same way that somebody might find that kind of satisfaction of seeing their their score go down over the years at golf. So I do kind of cling on to elements of of sports and activities that I've fallen in love with as a young person, even though I can't practice them the same way today. Yeah, definitely. What were your sort of early uh, creative expressions? Like, what did they show up as? I mean, you mentioned, you know, a love for comic books. You mentioned a number of authors. Um, What about your own creative efforts? Like, what were the early ones like? like some were just drawing and graphic so i would always uh on my three ring binder 
create all sorts of interesting and probably scary to adult graphics that might involve eyeballs or fonts or phrases or sayings that people would look at for the most part and think was just pretty weird. Um, and, you know, this is going to sound weird, but pranks. I feel like when I was in elementary school, middle school, and high school, I had this uh, this mind for ideas that would create things that wouldn't really translate well into the real world. But with, with my group of friends and with our own value system, we love doing them. And so you, you kind of see stuff like this popping up on YouTube videos and, uh, you know, MTV. But, for example, we would uh, create a sign that said something like, uh, the automatic door is malfunctioning. Please take off all jewelry before you come into the supermarket. And this was at a time where it was a pretty novel that you would step on a mat and the supermarket door would open up. Uh-huh. So then we would stand back and watch people take off their rings or watches before they entered the door. <laughs> or we would do prank things with, with shopping carts that were pretty malicious. We learned that in a, in a supermarket parking lot at night, around midnight, if you uh, drove your car at 33 miles per hour and held a grocery cart out through the window and you rammed it into one of those curbs or parking stops, it would do a complete flip and land on all four wheels again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How many times did you do that? I don't recall too many. We never got caught, but yeah, our, our, our pranks were in some ways, I feel like it almost set me up for what I did later in life because part of it had to do with having this sense of confidence in the same way that you have to have confidence to be a con man. You have to have confidence to have a vision, an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial pursuit um, and kind of a vision. Uh-huh. And, and so I do think that the idea of thinking creatively and creating these, these social constructs that brought uh, amusement to my friends and I uh, later translated into some other artistic projects that I worked on. Yeah. Well, it's funny you bring up pranks because it, it reminded me of one of my own junior high pranks where I pretended to be an Indian immigrant who had just arrived in this small Texas town and found some Indian lady in the phone book. And I would call her every day, every week for almost two years. I would call her pretending to be some Indian immigrant who had just arrived here. Uh, and even in occasionally invited myself over to dinner although you know being a seventh grader i had no way to get there but it was ridiculous that we managed to sustain that for two years that could be a fun exploration talking to people who are creative in their adult lives and learning how they express that creativity probably in mostly uh socially unacceptable ways growing up until they found a sweet spot, you know, a way where they could apply it that served them and served their community. And I, I kind of see that in my life story in the same way that, you know, you, you have young people in, in like the hero myth stories where they, ha- they feel different. They feel separate from others. They might have some ability that makes no sense to them, but just gets them in trouble. But eventually through suffering and pain and experience and maturity, they understand that that thing that made them different can be a gift, a gift that can serve them and others in a way that brings meaning and maybe reduces suffering. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that um, as we get older, uh, our creative expression starts to get more stifled? I feel that I had to really seek it out and make a deliberate choice to start expressing it. And that's when it became much more prevalent in my adult life. But that took almost you know, 20 years post-college to get to that point. Mm. 
maybe there's a lot of ways to look at it. Maybe it's it's related to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And when you're young, you don't feel a sense of uh, pressure to earn money or support yourself. You kind of have this artificial reality that you're living in that allows you to express those creative thoughts and daydreams and not feel like you have to be productive. But as we get older and more burdened with responsibilities, um, I, I know – when I came out of college, I felt a great need to support my family financially and then later to make sure uh, my daughter was well cared for. And that's when I had my, my business uh, for 20 years uh, satisfying that financial and security need. But then I reached a certain point in my career where I, had, I, had, I felt pretty financially free. And that's when I was able to kind of reconnect to that that childhood sense of wonder and and mystery and mischief Hmm. and kind of pursue creative projects that I hadn't thought about during those years when I really had to be productive. So what influence did your parents have on the choices that you've made uh, with your life and your career? Oh, I think that... um, as a boy and a man, my relationship with my father is key in understanding my relationship with uh, authority, for example. So I think I'm pretty adversarial, pretty oppositional in that no matter what environment I'm in. I remember one of the reasons I wanted to go to, to Berkeley was because of the reputation of, of rebelliousness it had and free thinking. And once I got there and it felt very left wing and liberal. And because I was in that environment, I started to feel a little more conservative and and not Republican, but more in that direction. So I think that's related uh, to the relationship I had with my father. And uh, because of the divorce, I think I had to grow up pretty fast and understand the world in, in new terms at a very young age which can rob you of a sense of security, but at the same time um, allow you to embrace a sense of independence and discovery and looking through your own eyes in a way that, that can be uh, revelatory. Mm-hmm. So what happened from high school to through Berkeley to, to starting post circuit? Like what was been, what's been the trajectory to get to this point? Oh, maybe I'll just try and think of some of the the mile markers along the way and then mention some points of my past that have connected to it. Uh, In high school, I felt alone. Um, I was certainly not that kid who you would want to tell your secrets to. At the same time, I did have this sense of uh, confidence with my small group of friends that we could uh, pursue projects and entertain ourselves in creative ways. So, for example, in in print shop, instead of printing business cards, we found a way to serendipitously print uh, phony raffle tickets and then go door to door and sell them to create spending money until uh, that idea collapsed. Uh, in college, uh, again, feeling kind of a sense of, of being without direction. Uh, in college is when I had, I think, my first panic attack and felt as though... Uh, I, I was losing a sense of, of self-control that kind of shook me to my core. Uh, being aimless and feeling like I didn't have the connections that I wanted uh, pushed me, I think, to major in psychology and social science to better understand what I felt was a weakness in myself. Uh, in college, I also volunteered on a suicide prevention hotline and went through three weeks of training 
to basically listen to people's secrets at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. And I think the desire there was to uh, find a way to help others and help myself at the same time. When I graduated from college, uh, my degree was in social science, so I didn't really have a direct line to a profession. So I pursued the work that I had done to, to work my way through school, which was uh, retrieving information at libraries and information sources for large corporations and pharmaceutical companies. And so graduating from Berkeley, uh, my wife and I packed everything in a car and drove across the country in the same way that the, uh, the 49ers drove to California during the gold rush. But our gold rush was information. And so we drove to the information capital of the world, Washington, D.C., and started a business um, as information brokers and document delivery specialists with medical information from the National Library of Medicine and the Library of Congress. And I did that for 10, 20 years, had my own business. It was, it was successful. Uh, it was lucrative, but it, it wasn't very gratifying. It was pretty tedious, in fact. And so um, after working on weekends, I would pursue these little uh, postcard prank-type projects that would entertain me and feel like I was bringing more meaning and creativity and fun into my life with the, the only objective of kind of satisfying myself. Mm -hmm. And that, that it did. Okay, so we're going to come back to the whole idea of satisfying yourself because that is the big part of the reason I wanted to have you here since it is the theme of my upcoming book audience of one and you're in the book. Uh, but I want to go back to Berkeley and the suicide prevention hotline. What misperceptions do you think that those of us who've never had that experience of being on the other end of the line of something like a suicide prevention hotline have about the types of people who call into it? Hmm. Well, um, I've seen over a million secrets uh, from all types of people from all over the world. And so for me, I kind of see, uh, I think, what, what sometimes other people haven't had the opportunity to understand. And that is how uh, issues of isolation and mental health and relationship issues affect all of us at different points in our time. And if, if you've never had a struggle with mental illness, you certainly have a friend or a family member right now who's in the middle of a struggle, um, but hiding it because they feel a sense of shame, because they feel burdened by it, because they think nobody will understand or think they're weird if they knew. And so I think that's the real value of an anonymous suicide prevention hotline is because sometimes it's easier to tell your secret to that person who doesn't know you, that stranger on the train, rather than a friend or a family member who might judge you or who might have that confession impact your relationship with them for the rest of your life. So for me, I think it, it was liberating for me and for the person calling in, knowing that there was no judgment there was just acceptance and listening. But one thing I had to learn early on is that it wasn't my job as a hotline volunteer to solve everybody's problem or to make that perfect uh, referral or assessment when I spoke to somebody for 10 or 20 or 30 minutes. My job was simply to listen, to be there in the moment with empathy, understanding in a non-judgmental way. And in so many ways, that's, that's what 
the people needed most of all, just to know that they could tell their story, to get it out, to take ownership of the words of how they were feeling, maybe how they'd never been able to talk about before. And in a lot of cases, too, that was the first step of the solution, just to understand what the problem was, to admit it, to let it go, and to realize that uh, the person listening to them wasn't going to condemn them or tell them what to do, but just say, you know, that's okay. I've been there too. Um, What's the next step? How does that make you feel? And so it was difficult not to try and solve problems and just be an active, attendant listener. Mm-hmm. Have you yourself experienced any really sort of dark chapters or seasons of your life? And uh, if so, how did you pull out of them? Yeah, I had a, I had a pretty traumatic childhood and some rough times growing up. Um, I, I saw my best friend fall to his death when I was in eighth grade. Um, I've been kicked out of my house. I've been homeless for a little bit. I've struggled with mental illness before. I've lost a best friend to suicide. And I've, I've had to talk about my own feelings in that area. Um, so for me, it's, it's very real. And that's why I've uh, connected the, the work I do in the second part of my life to suicide prevention, to raising awareness of mental wellness, to having the conversations that we want to have, but sometimes feel ashamed to. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of these secrets uh, coming from America, and I feel like one of America's deepest secrets is the struggle that we have with suicide and not admitting it to ourselves. Um, This year, 2018, over a thousand college students will take their life Over the past five years, more uh, American soldiers, men and women, have been killed by their own hands than by the enemy. And uh, year by year, uh, the rates are going up in a way that is doubly frustrating, not just because it's something that we can take action on, but we're not, but precisely because we know what we can do to help and it's not being done. And I think when we look back on this time, it's it's going to be shocking of not just how we ignored the problem, but how we tried to sweep it under the rug and not even acknowledge that it existed. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think for me in particular, the challenge with this was in, a, in you know in Indian culture, the stigma associated with therapy is really, really high. You know, I mean, for the longest time until I found myself in a therapist office, the belief that was drilled into my head was therapy is for crazy people, and. I think after a month of doing it, I thought, why the hell did I wait 20 years to do this? I wish I had figured this out a long time ago. Uh, And it's interesting because, you know, we've had very high profile suicides, but there's probably a lot of suicides that don't get any attention at all. And we just kind of, you know, sweep the problem under the rug. What I wonder is you mentioned earlier that you're a parent and I wonder about how this is this whole project and, and the experiences that you've had both life and career wise and as a result of, of post secret have shaped the way that you're you're raising your daughter. Well, I think because of post secret, I'm much more open to human experience and much more non judgmental. So for me, it's actually kind of shocking uh, the stories and conversations that my wife and I have with our daughter compared to the conversations my wife and I had with our parents. It's like a whole different world. And it feels so good uh, knowing that our daughter can literally tell us 
anything. And for her to know that her interest is always aligned with our interest. We always want the best for her. And I think that's part of the basis why she has that that trust with us over the years. We've earned it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she's uh, she's living in San Francisco now. She just told me recently, actually touching on what you just mentioned, that she has a friend that works in retail. And she says she is shocked because uh, her friend is aware of multiple suicides that have taken place in the retail environment where she works that don't get reported about in the news. And this is in liberal San Francisco. Partly, I think it has to do with the fact that it it happens so consistently that we don't even think of it as news anymore. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is that up until you see something like the Anthony Bourdain situation or Kate Spade, there's this sort of misperception that success makes you immune to this sort of adversity. Yeah, for sure. When maybe just the opposite is true. Maybe it's the individuals who are trying something new, challenging society and themselves, uh, pushing themselves to their own limits, who have the most interesting lives and um, are the ones who who might find themselves in in crisis. Um, I know personally, uh, I prefer to hang out with people who who have uh, struggles and are struggling. Um, I just find it more interesting. Um, And it's interesting how people can make these connections through that. Uh, I received an email once uh, from a young woman. And she said, I was struggling in high school. I was failing. I was frustrated with myself and the world. I had a crisis. And I ended up going to a mental institution. And she said, on the drive there, I was so freaked out. I was so worried. I didn't know what to expect. And she said she walked in and she met a group of people there. And one of the boys about her age came up to her and simply said to her, you're not the most fucked up person anymore. And she said just hearing that uh, from a stranger who had instantly become a friend just by making that confession allowed her to let go of that burden she was feeling and really accept herself, begin to accept herself for who she was and to feel a part of this community of, of others who felt like outsiders, but at the same time uh, were real and were welcoming. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to parents who are listening to this about having difficult conversations with their children, allowing their children to feel comfortable enough to have difficult conversations with them? Well, I think as a parent, uh, you you have to be the leader. You have to take the leadership position yourself. And that's not always easy. Um, When parents do ask me, how can I have a conversation with my son or daughter the same way that strangers are able to trust you with their stories and secrets and postcards? My answer is always the same. Um, It's it's not easy, um, but it is simple. And that is uh, tell your son or daughter one of your true secrets first. And and that opens up this gateway where they feel like they can share back. So I think it's more about not asking for authenticity, uh, but showing it yourself, uh, being courageous enough to take that step of vulnerability first, open up your heart, and then that allows it to come back. Uh, because ultimately, uh, intimacy um, – Well, secrets are the currency of intimacy. And if you can start that relationship first, um, it's much easier for the other, other person to respond. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. You know, it's, it's interesting. A couple of months ago, I was dating a girl and she said, what's the worst thing about you that you'd be afraid to tell me? And I couldn't tell her. Mm. I, I, mm. Said, I, I basically said, I think you already know, which, and it wasn't the truth at all. Yeah. Well, that's actually, that is a secret in and of itself. The fact that you shared that with me and with your listeners. And it, it brings up another point, And that is, um, if you were to ask me if I think we should tell all of our secrets to everybody in our life, I would say the answer is absolutely not. There are some secrets uh, I keep to, to protect my wife, uh, to protect my daughter. Um, so I, I think it's very important what we choose to conceal and what we choose to reveal. And it's just as easy to hurt somebody by acting like you're telling them a secret than it is to hide something in a way that can be destructful. So the answer is not always to tell somebody your secrets. Uh, but I do think 
it's it's healthy to challenge ourselves to open up with the people who are closest to us and tell them a little bit more about who we are. So tell me about the day that this project started. I know I had a chance to read about it anecdotally and kind of, you know, heard a little bit about it in your TED Talk, but I I really want to hear it from you directly. Mm. Well, I think there's lots of starting points. Maybe one starting point was uh, as a child when I realized our family kept secrets from others and then later on realized my family kept secrets from me. Um, maybe it was born on the, on the suicide prevention hotline, listening to strangers tell me their secrets. Or my fascination with postcards, which happened uh, probably in the fifth grade. A lot of kind of elements, I think, have gone in to, to feed this project that took my life and turned it upside down. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, when those things were happening, they all felt random. But looking back on my life, I can see how they all wove together into this, this cord of destiny. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of starting points. I, when I was, uh, working at my business, I was taking off on the weekend and doing things after work with these postcard projects. The first postcard project was, um, took place in Paris. I I was visiting Paris for the first time. And when I flew in, the first place I went to was, uh, down some, uh, touristy alleys and I purchased three postcards. I, they were all uh, Little Prince postcards and I came back to my hotel room and stuck them in my, my dresser drawer, my nightstand drawer for the first night in Paris and fell asleep. And during that night, I had a lucid dream, a dream where I realized I was dreaming. And in my dream, I was in that room and in my dream, I opened up the drawer and looked at those postcards and each one had been altered uh, they looked differently. They had uh, different messages written on the back of them. And uh, when I woke up, I quickly opened up that drawer, took out the actual postcards and recreated them to look like they had in my dream. And one message on the back, for example, read, unrecognized journeys, no, forgotten evidence of unrecognized journeys unknowingly rediscovered. And so I created those postcards, and that was the first postcard project I worked on. The second one was for a straight year. I I purchased bottles with corks, and I created a a handmade postcard that I inserted into the bottle and uh, threw it into a lake that was near me every Sunday. It was uh, the, the same park where they filmed the Blair Witch Project. And these handmade postcards were they were just really kind of crazily made. Um, I, I used stitching and, uh, wrote, I had this old typewriter. I would type enigmatic questions and messages on the postcards. The project was called reluctant Oracle. And so each postcard had a message as if it had come from a reluctant Oracle. So for example, one might read, um, why do you ask the question when you don't really want to know the answer or, or there's more wisdom in how you ask the question than what answer you could receive. And so I threw these in the lake every Sunday and eventually it got picked up uh, by regional, national, and international media. Where were these mysterious bottles coming from? And there were these uh, news stories, like local TV news reports about these mysterious bottles. What did they mean? Where were they coming from? And, and that was the second uh, postcard project. One of the postcards that I created uh, actually said something like, 
uh, you'll find your answer in the secrets of strangers, one of the 52. And that, I think, kind of led me to uh, starting Post Secret, uh, which changed everything. Mm. When you were handing out the postcards uh, for Post Secret the very first time, if I remember correctly, you handed them out to strangers on Washington, D.C. What did they react like when you actually were giving them to them? Yeah, I printed up uh, about 3,000 self-addressed postcards and at night went to Washington, D.C. and walked the sidewalk soliciting secrets from strangers. And I would I would walk up to somebody and say, hi, my name's Frank and I collect secrets and extend my arm with this white postcard at the end. And I got, as you can imagine, all kinds of reactions. Some people ignored me. Uh, some people took several cards. Some people said, uh, I don't have any secrets. But I always made sure they took a postcard because I believe they've got the best ones. Hmm. So one of the things that you had said uh, earlier was about the fact that, you know, thanks to the web, we have this sort of closer uh, connection to our tribe. And at the same time, we have a world in which social media has created an almost dystopian you know, world in which we're more isolated than we've ever been, despite the fact that we're more digitally connected than we've ever been. How do you think about that uh, as somebody who, who has created Post Secret? Yeah, I felt that paradox as well. The idea that there's never been uh, more people on the planet. There's never been uh, more communication technology that can bring us together. Yet despite all that, there's never been a greater sense of alienation and, and isolation. Um, if you look on college campuses, for, for example, uh, incidents of depression are going down, but incidents of anxiety and feeling alone are going up. And the shame associated with those things is also increasing. I don't have an answer. Um, but I do think uh, that's a place for a lot of us to invest our time and effort to try and find a solution. Um, and I think it's a critical uh, solution. It, it, it's not just about mental wellness. It's about um, communities cooperating. It's about countries not going to war. Um, there, there probably is no higher priority. Yeah, it's interesting. I think about it because I, and I wrote about this recently on Facebook. I, you know, if you may have read Sherry Turkle's book uh, Alone Together, uh, which is we depend you know more on technology and less on each other. And I said the thing that struck me was I was home on a Friday night and I thought, okay, thousands of people are listening to this. I don't have one person that I can call to hang out with. All my friends are too busy or you know have something else going on. And I, I just kind of was stunned by that. I said, how did this happen? Oh, absolutely. I think many of us are have these huge virtual networks of friends, with my air quotes. But when it comes to that person you can call to pick you up at the airport, uh, maybe we don't have that kind of friend. Um, I, I'm certainly in that boat as well. Uh, I read something recently talking about how uh, – why is it that we overlook uh, one of Jesus's major miracles, the idea that in his mid-30s he had 12 close male friends? <laughs> Well, that, that actually raises a question that I didn't get to ask you. Uh, does faith or religion play a role in your life as an adult? Uh, when I was born, I was, I was raised in uh, the Presbyterian faith. And then in high school, I, I was more a Pentecostal, pretty fundamentalist. Uh, I, I think as I, I got older, I became more uh, agnostic. But now I would say... Uh, I, I do definitely have a spiritual appreciation. Um, 
a connection to the wonders of the world and, and not feeling I have to know everything, but also understanding too that uh, there are these uh, stories that we can all go through in a way that unites us in surprising ways. Uh, I think uh, probably the tribe I feel closest to today are uh, other people, especially young people, who have created something special and unique either online or in the real world that bring people together and kind of uh, allow others to tell their story in, in a space. So whether it's Humans of New York or Dear World or something in that nature, those are the people I feel connected to. And as I get to know those folks, uh, very often, it seems that we might start our projects uh, in a different place, in something very specific to our uh, upbringing or where we come from. But as we follow where those projects lead us, they kind of come back to this similar place, uh, the value of connection, the importance of sharing our story in a way that allows us to release who we are and empowers other people to embrace their struggles as well. Um, the idea that... Uh, as a young person, the things that make us different and make us feel weird can be harnessed and allowed to, to lead us and lead our communities in ways that can bring us together and bring healing to a number of people. The idea that, um, that suffering doesn't have to be purposeless and we can earn our souls through our struggle, through our suffering. Uh, through our struggles, we can gain talents and gifts, gifts that allow us to share with the world something that only we uniquely can bring. And so those are some of the lessons I've learned through through my journey and my struggle. And it's, it's allowed me to look back on my life and embrace uh, the most painful parts uh, that I thought I would never want to relive again if I, if I could or had to. But now looking back on it, see how they they led me to where I am today, doing the things uh, I love to do. So one of the things that I think really struck me about your story, uh, and it's why we included it in the book, because you're, you're such an, a, a sort of primate, you're like the epitome of the example of an audience of one, that the person that you're trying to please with this uh, was yourself. And at the same time, you have this project that reaches millions of people, uh, the most, free, you know, most visited ad-free blog on the internet. And you've intentionally, it seems like, chosen to separate uh, your creative project from commercial interests. And I was wondering if you could talk about that in more detail. Sure. Um, fortunately, Post Secret came to me at a time in my life where I, I had some financial security. So right from the start, I didn't have to use Post Secret to pay my bills. And I'm thankful for that because I think by not taking money for advertisements on the website, um, I was able to develop a deeper relationship with strangers where they felt like they could really trust this stranger with their confession, somebody who they could mail their postcard to their home, not a P.O. box or a committee. Um, it was just one guy who would read your secret, accept it and share it back in a non-commercial way. So I think that allowed me to uh, earn people's trust at a deeper level and therefore the secrets were even more compelling. Also, in a unique way, too, by saying no to easy money up front, it creates opportunities later on in a venture that allow you to find organic 
uh, underwriting sources that are uh, more appropriate and bigger than what you could have done before. So, for example, even though the, the Postseeker website has now had over 800 million hits, I've never taken a dollar for an ad on the site. But that doesn't mean that uh, I, I wouldn't come out with a Postsecret book that could kind of be uh, an archive of these postcards and share them in a new way or a post-secret art exhibit where people can see the actual postcards. Um, and then I, I travel and speak on college campuses in a way that I think in, in some cases is the highest manifestation of the project because of these live events. I try and do in a social space what I've done with the website, create this, this safe, non-judgmental place where you feel comfortable to share. And at the end of all my talks, I invite audience members, sometimes in front of a thousand people, to come up to the microphone and share a secret they'd never told anyone before for the first time. And that can be the most emotional and memorable part of my, of my talks every time. Wow. Uh, that sounds like it would be absolutely terrifying to me. <laughs> it's funny because uh, it's always a super challenge to get that first person to feel comfortable enough to come up to the microphone. There's like basically, I mean, telling you my secrets, there's like 20 or 30 social cues I have to go through before I can create that space. So, for example, I would never ask anybody to tell their secret at the microphone before I tell one of my own um, and just uh, making sure the audience uh knows how to react to somebody sharing their secret and who is vulnerable at the microphone in an appropriate way. So a lot of little social cues, but once you can get that first person up to the microphone and they open up and tell a truth, whether it's romantic or painful or funny, and that person sees and feels how they're embraced by the audience who basically gives them a collective, oh, that's okay, me too, we're all together. Um, people basically run up to the microphone and the line gets so long I can't go through everybody because honestly, I think we all have these parts of who we are that we want to get out, we want to share, um, but we don't always feel like we have the appropriate place for it. But if you can create that, that, that singular time and place where there's no judgment and there's acceptance and you give permission, um, people want to tell their story. And, and this is just one avenue for them to do it, but I'm sure there's, there's dozens of others that haven't even been touched upon yet. How do you decide which ones to put up? I mean, I get, I'm guessing you're, you must just get tons of mail every day. So how do you actually decipher between what you're going to put up and what you just keep? I think at this point, it, a lot of it is by feel. Uh, I, I couldn't even really put it into words. I just always uh, go through the secrets on Saturday and try and select secrets that – um, are freshly original or something that's that's very common but maybe expressed visually in a compelling way. I try and pick secrets that touch on all of our emotions. So every week you're probably going to see a, a funny secret or a romantic secret, a painful secret, a, an office-related secret on the website, maybe a hidden act of kindness or a political secret. And then I take these individual voices and try and uh, edit and arrange them and con connect them in a way that they tell a story about us uh, so that they're more like a conversation rather than just individual voices. So, you know, we've talked about the fact that you have uh, helped raise awareness for suicide prevention. What have been some of the surprising outcomes in people's lives who have actually shared with you? 
there is something primally powerful about telling a true secret. Uh, it can change others. It can change you. Um, in multiple cases, there have been marriage proposals that post secret live events <laughs> that. because that's certainly a secret. Um, people have been brought together. People have, who have um, felt confident for the first time, for example, cutting a parent out of their life because the parent had had uh, control of an unhealthy relationship for sometimes decades and the power it takes to let that go. Um, the transformative power of telling a secret about your struggle with mental illness can be the first step in not only seeking help for yourself, but inspiring others to think, hey, maybe there's hope or help for me, or maybe it's okay for me to tell my story. There's something about telling a secret that can be uh, inspiring, it can, can kind of cascade and uh, others want to join in. So whether it's at a post-secret event where people line up to tell their secrets or maybe after the event where people come up to me and say, uh, Frank, let me tell you this story about my uncle who thought about taking his life. Sometimes if I've told stories about suicide, um, people in the audience realize it's, it's safe or okay for them to tell a story that they've been keeping private or that maybe there's shame in their family about it. And if you can just give permission, those stories start to emerge in, in a beautiful way where ultimately I think the way post-secret is designed is um, even though some of the secrets can be painful – it's a celebration of our story, of the perseverance, of the transformation, of finding the right way to tell our story that takes all the pain and trauma in our past and allows us to take ownership of it and use it to propel us into the future we want. Do you ever get emails and look at them and wonder, whoa, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> Uh, that's actually a painful question to me because even though all the postcards uh, arrive pretty much anonymously, the emails don't. Yeah. And I get a lot of emails, and I can't respond to all the emails uh, appropriately the way I think I should. I, I do the best I can, but uh, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, I die and the first question that's asked to me is like, Frank, remember this email that showed up in your inbox? You didn't answer it. And this is what happened. <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally fearful of that. And I wish I could have the time and resources to respond to everybody's email appropriately. Yeah. I, I mean, I asked the question because I occasionally get emails like that from people. And I, I kind of I look at it and I, I think to myself, I'm so not qualified to even give an answer to this question because I'm struggling with some of these issues myself. Yeah, I, I haven't found the right way to feel good about that circumstance. I've, I've lost a friend and a family member to suicide. I've struggled myself. I, I am very close to organizations that, sole, that their sole purpose is to raise awareness in the conversation of mental wellness. And I, I know the right way and how much attention you're supposed to give to somebody who could be at that moment of killing themselves. And I, I'm sure I fall short and so that's that's a painful part of this project and uh, what it means to me, especially coming from a background of volunteering on a suicide prevention hotline for years. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to something we were talking about earlier because I promised you we wouldn't get out of the conversation without returning to it. And that was your physical activities. Uh, you mentioned things that you do. 
why do you think that all these physical activities have such a huge impact on creativity? Uh, you know, this is deeply personal to me because I think that it's not a coincidence that my surfing journey and my creative journey parallel like almost exactly in the same amount of time. Yeah, I, I think there's something very primal about getting in touch with your physical body and doing activities that really please it in deep and profound ways. I think it connects to uh, endorphins being released. I, I remember a couple months ago, I had this just awesome spin session and got all these ideas and came back home and uh, sent an email to my friend, Neil Pashrika, telling about how I was excited about this project I wanted to start. And he responded uh, patiently by just uh, and wisely by saying, well, take a couple of days and see if you're still just as excited about it as you are right now. And surely enough, you know, I, I wasn't. My, my enthusiasm kind of waned for it. And it was just sometimes when you have a good exercise session, you just get so jazzed about uh, ideas and possibilities. And I think it, it frees you to think about things that you normally wouldn't in your everyday life. But that's kind of the fun part. Uh, for me, the more substantial part is how it helps me emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, I remember having panic attacks in college and being unnerved by that. And I remember feeling pressure before certain tests and exams. And one of the things I learned to do before a big test was to go to uh, some of the buildings there on campus that uh, were maybe 10 or 12 stories high and just run up and down the stairs for like 15, 20 minutes, get sweaty, get exhausted. But then all that tension was gone and I could go into the classroom, relax, and just focus on the questions in a way where my mind wasn't all over the place. And I think that's that, that, that's, uh, that coping mechanism has stayed with me for my whole life because uh, when I was younger in my 20s, I would do uh, triathlons. And to this day, I, I really challenge myself uh, physically in a way that I hope is, is good for my longevity, but is really primarily about trying to keep that balance emotionally and and be stable. So that could mean like three days ago, I, I hiked up a, a mountain, 15 miles total hike. Um, the week before that, I rode 30 to 40 miles along the beach on my road bike. Um, I'm planning later on uh, this month to hike up, or next month maybe, hike up Mount Whitney in California. And last year, I rode my bike literally across Italy from, from beach to beach. So it's, it's something that's a real cornerstone of my life. And, uh, I think it, it keeps me balanced and it's, it's an obsession, but a healthy obsession. Yeah, no doubt. Wow. Uh, well, this has been amazing. I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unmistakable. Wow, there's a lot of ways you can interpret that. I'm just going to go with my first impression of it and say, why would you want to be unmistakable? And what I mean by that is I make a hell of a lot of mistakes in my life. I feel like with Post Secret, it's a project that has allowed me to go into publishing and public speaking and art exhibiting and app creating and making an album and a website, all things I had no experience and maybe no business getting into. But I did want to do fun, creative stuff. And when you approach it 
kind of like with the skateboarder model where you don't really have a mentor or a coach. You're just flailing about. Mistakes get made for sure. And I think if you carry too much of a burden or identification with that mistake, it can discourage you from, you know, courageously going on into other fields where you have no background or understanding. So I would just say um, you probably don't get this approach from many of your guests, but uh, embrace those mistakes. Um, Feel like if you're not making enough mistakes, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Um, Maybe wear those mistakes as a badge of courage. Because uh, I, I, I guarantee you, most of the people listening to this won't have made as many mistakes as me, and they can feel painful. Um, but maybe there's a way to get beyond that and realize that uh, they're more of a, a feature than a bug to a productive life. Wow. Uh, well, I think that makes a, a really fitting and poetic end to a really inspiring conversation. You're truly exemplary of what it means to create for an audience of one. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with our listeners. This has been phenomenal. This was a great pleasure for me. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.